Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. I am a teacher from the United States who uh, moved to Haiti about 12 years ago after traveling back and forth to Haiti for... Uh, seven or eight years and for the last uh, seven years I've been working for an institution called Foncose, which is a Haitian nonprofit and I've been particularly connected to their program for uh, the very poorest Haitian families. Okay, so th- this, th- this, this is a uh <laughs> this is a pretty cool deal. We've got Stephen Whirlin with us today. He uh, he's got an amazing, amazing. Uh, he is touring uh, the USA. He's discussing what we can do in the U.S. and outside when uh, funding is sparse to none and CLM programs. And uh, uh, before I let Jay jump in here, kind of give me the three keys that unlock entrepreneurship. Uh, in basically extremely impoverished countries like you've been working with? Yeah, well, people say that, um, you know, you give a person a fish and they'll eat for a day, and you teach them the fish, they'll eat for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's some truth to that, but it's, it's really not enough, because if they know how to fish but don't have the tools to go fishing, or they're in poor health, um, then just knowing the know-how isn't enough. So uh, we look at the keys being uh, education, absolutely, but also then you have to have the actual assets, the actual tools, whether it's fishing tools or whether it's um, the livestock you'll manage to be, a, you know, to raise livestock. Um, uh, and then also you need a, um, a kind of accompaniment that can help you learn to... Um, protect your health, give you the tools you need to do that. So uh, those three keys, um, education, assets, and then accompaniment are what we think really does the trick. Okay. Well, that, uh, that, that is, uh, kind of give us a little bit more details on, on, on those keys as, as far as, uh, what, what's your, what's your experiences and things have been? Yeah, well, uh, what we do, I can tell you what we do. We go into a neighborhood in Haiti, a rural neighborhood in Haiti, and we find the poorest women in that neighborhood. And we uh, offer them the chance to choose different kinds of businesses they could develop. Usually they choose some form of livestock. Some, sometimes they choose small commerce as well. And then we train them to manage those businesses. That's the first piece. We give them the training to manage businesses that will allow them to help themselves out of poverty. But then the second step is we actually give them the assets they'll need to start the businesses. So if they choose goat rearing, we give them goats. If they 
they choose uh, small commerce, we give them merchandise to do their first set of, st uh, of, of sales. Those are the first two pieces. And then the third critical piece is the accompaniment because a uh, woman needs to learn how to take care of her health. She needs access to health care. She needs access to the tools of prevention. And we have case managers that meet with women once a, once a week for 18 months to ensure that all of that happens, all the things that need to go along with um, the um, education and the basic tools. Awesome. I, I have a question. Yes, go, Jay. When you're dealing with goats, do you, like, give them what they need? Like, if they need milk goats or meat goats, uh, do, you, do you concentrate on a certain type of goat? Well, we, that's a great question. We work with just the local goats that are generally available in Haiti. Um, in Haiti, dairy goats are not a thing. So Haitian, in rural Haiti, no one really uses goat milk. So the goats that our members are raising, they're raising in order to sell offspring that will eventually be used for meat. What kind of, of goats do you get, do you have over there in Haiti? Um, I mean, because like over in America, we've got boar and Nubian and, and La Macha. What, what, what's over in Haiti? Um, I, I can't tell you what breed they are. They're just, um, they're just whatever the goats are in the countryside. They're small. <laughs> um, uh, they don't produce a lot of milk, but they're very, um, uh, they tend to stay healthy and, uh, they, uh, uh, so they're, they're local, and they've adapted to the environment that that's over there. Yeah, they're just they're local. They're just what it, you know, generations of goat breeding in Haiti. So you, you don't do a lot of of uh, bringing stuff in from the United States. It's all local stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, there's a been a a damaging history of trying to change uh, things in Haitian agriculture and Haitian uh, animal husbandry by bringing in improved stock. And uh, whereas the, the Haitians can easily learn how to take good care of local ones and do perfectly well with them. Exactly. Use the resources that you have on hand. Yeah, we had one experience with a donor that um, offered us some um, purebred, some big, uh, uh, very special goats. What they did is they offered us some the males that were going to crossbreed with the local females uh, to improve the um, the stock that the participants in our program would have. And it was just a disaster. They didn't want to eat the food that was generally available. <laughs> they um, weren't very interested in the female goats. If you're uh, uh, and so it just it just went terribly. So we we'd rather help them improve the quality of their yes. goats by learning to take better care of what's there. That's I I completely agree with that kind of attitude. I mean, it's it's a 
I don't think it's uh, productive when you try to go in and improve somebody's lives by forcing them to live the way you live. I think you should help a person be better in who they are. Uh, absolutely. Now, now, Stephen, uh, how you, you you've been able to do all these different things over there? Tell us a little bit about how the graduation model can be applied here and abroad with with what you guys have done over there and uh, in in all, all the different programs that you guys have worked with. Yeah, the graduation model is a great approach. It was uh, developed originally by BRAC in Bangladesh, so we're, we're not the originators. We uh, were taught to do it by, by BRAC. And the key is that it combines uh, it combines economic development with social development and learning to really give someone a one-time push out of the, their, um, the level of poverty they're in so they can graduate to a, um, a better life. And uh, I don't think it's, it, it, like I said, it, it's in something like 50 sites around the world right now, but um, what's interesting about it is the way it assumes that you, if you invest in someone, and then accompany them as they work to change their own lives, they have a really good chance of succeeding. What, what drew you to this, this cause? I mean, I heard that you were in a school teacher in the U.S. first. Yeah, I originally started traveling to Haiti because I had a former student who was involved in literacy work, and he thought I'd be interested in the literacy work, and I really was. Um, the Haitian uh, teachers that I worked, who I worked with, they knew how to do some things that I, I didn't know how to do, but they had some problems that um, they were facing that they weren't quite sure how to handle, and so it was a very rich collaboration for me. But through that collaboration, I came in contact with uh, this microfinance institution called Foncose that had some of the similar problems in its um, education programs. So I got involved in Foncose and the more I was involved, the more I became interested in their um, economic work. Um, the more you're in Haiti, the more you see the poverty, the more you want to be part of a solution, I think. I think it's only natural. So um, I had a chance to be a director of one of their branches. They, you know, they function more or less like a bank for um, the poor. And I had a chance to be a branch manager, and I, I was really interested in that work. And then when I was ready to stop doing that, I was offered the chance to be part of this program for the ultra-poor, which is really a seemed like a remarkable opportunity, and so I jumped right in. 
That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. We've got uh, a great guest with us today. Stephen Wordland joins us, and uh, he has uh, done all sorts of different things. Um, he is a uh, basically here's here's the gist on Stephen. President Donald Trump announced uh, this week that he's seeking to reduce his country's contribution to the United Nations programs as part of the United Nations cuts to funding the U.S. Uh, diplomacy and foreign aid in the administration's budget proposal. This includes slashing funding for the State Department and U.S. aid, its foreign aid agency and foreign disaster relief. And Stephen Worland is with us today. He works daily with the extreme impoverished with uh, unique funding, different from microfinancing. Um, what what aid cutbacks, what exactly is this going to mean to people in disaster planes such as Haiti? Um, you know, it, it's a it's a little hard to foresee. Uh, we my pr- the program I'm involved in is not currently getting any USAID funds. Okay. Um, but um, USAID is a really important player in um, in the uh, network of organizations, especially the larger institutions who are trying to understand how to approach the um, extreme poverty at a national level. You know, our program, we've, we've worked with 5,000 families, uh, more than 5,000 families so far, but that's not anything like the order of magnitude of extreme poverty in Haiti. For um, the po- problem really to be solved, it's going to take the big players to get involved. And um, USAID, through funding research, funding, um, uh, uh, helping the government uh, address, uh, organize itself around the issue, um, is really has really been is really key. So, if they stop doing that, it, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say how things will move forward, uh, but. I don't know. It's it, it's new territory for us. Well, Jay, do you have uh, anything else for our guest here? I I think what he's doing is just completely fascinating. I mean, you know, a lot of people sit there and say that they want to change the world, and and I mean, he's actually putting uh, courage behind his. Uh, he's putting actions behind his words. So. Um, well, if, if, if you're interested, I, I hope that uh, I, I just want to mention that we have a book out called "To Fool the Rain," okay. um, where we talk about the women uh, who get are involved in this program. So you get to see a little bit about the lives of 